we talked about this idea of developing ways of looking, cultivating and kind of training in ways of looking, ways of relating to the moment, to experience. Merlin said, we're actually going to explore uh, three in particular of these. Actually, the staying at contact is also a way of looking at, actually, metta is also a way of looking, but... Uh, three in particular called the three characteristics, and, and the first one was the impermanence. Um, now, as I said, we're moving quite quickly through these because I, I want to throw them out. So, it was only two days ago we did the, uh, the impermanence. So, I'm aware of that. Um, as I said, people will find different of these uh, more helpful. Uh, <coughs> so, each person will, will find uh, perhaps a favorite or a couple that are favorites. Uh, so just to try and see what works. Um, you may find, for instance, that you try the second one, but actually the impermanence works better for you. And then after we've tried all three, then you know that's where you, you're kind of putting your eggs. So this second one, there's two ways of doing it, two, two main ways of doing it. <coughs> And the first way is really just a, a whisker, a hair's breadth away from the impermanence. The second way of looking, uh, the second characteristic of the three characteristics, uh, is the dukkha, dukkha, D-U-K-K-H-A. And that's a very rich word in the tradition. I mean, usually it gets translated as suffering, but it's it's very rich, it has a lot of depth, breadth, and subtlety to it. <clears throat> so, for our purposes, for this uh, this particular avenue of meditation, maybe we want to translate it as unsatisfactory. Unsatisfactory. And so, it's a way of looking at um, a phenomenon, an experience, an event, and looking through the lens of knowing that this thing, this phenomenon, is unsatisfactory. What does that mean? Anything that arises, anything that is born, anything that is impermanent, uh, any conditioned phenomenon, uh, is unsatisfactory, partly because of its very impermanence. It cannot fully uh, satisfy me, it cannot lastingly fulfill uh, me. I cannot be fulfilled forever, happy ever after, from this experience, from this uh, phenomenon. So because of the fleeting nature of things, because they don't last, there's a, a kind of, we could say, an unsatisfactoriness that goes with them. So uh, with that, one, one is deliberately seeing things and kind of even labeling them lightly as unsatisfactory, unsatisfactory bird sounds beautiful but it's it's unsatisfactory in the sense that it can't fill me this this feeling of um, whatever feeling I have in the body whether it's pleasant or unpleasant it's just unsatisfactory unsatisfactory with that what we're really doing again all of these three characteristics is that they're they're ways of supporting letting go that's all they are they're just different angles of 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 uh, supporting letting go in the moment in the moment. Uh, 
so when we regard something as unsatisfactory, we're kind of unhooking in a certain way from that thing. Uh, we let go, we don't cling, and we also see I don't need to reject this thing. It's just it's just dukkha. It's just unsatisfactory. In in the <coughs> Christian mystical tradition, they have two two uh, phrases, uh, beautiful uh, beautiful phrases. There's holy discontent. That's H O L Y, not W H O L L. Holy discontent. That that's this this same sense of whatever the experience is. Lovely, you know, majestic, um, whatever it is, beautiful, um, mundane, boring, difficult. There's a sense of, that's not it, that's not it, that can't do it for me, this cannot do it for me. And there's a sense of, of actually that that feeling of holy discontent is, is that sense of holy discontent is something one wants to cherish. It's a precious gift that one is not just content with getting what one wants in the phenomenal world hanging on to what, what one likes. <coughs> and out of that holy discontent comes uh, this attitude as well of holy disinterest. Holy, But the emphasis is on the holy. The emphasis is on the holy. So it's not just grumpy discontent because I'm in a bad mood. <laughs> and it's not just disinterest because I'm kind of bored and you know I'd rather watch TV or whatever. Holy discontent and holy disinterest, and again, they're, they're ways of looking, ways of relating to the present moment and, and the passing parade, the show of, of what happens in the present moment in consciousness. <clears throat> Meister Eckhart, probably one of the, the most profound of, of the Christian mystics, he has this uh, teaching, uh, and it's really a meditation teaching. It, it let go of creatures, let go of creatures. He's not talking about you know don't don't keep goldfish or something. <laughs> he means what's a creature? Anything that's created, anything that's born, anything that's a, a conditioned phenomenon. Let go, let go, let go of creatures, because a creature cannot be. I mean, in, in the Christian mystical tradition, a creature is not the cr- the creator. Cannot be that. You know, if I want to know in that language, if I want to know what God is. I have to not be so entangled in in the created. So that, that, that I actually don't want to go into all that right now because there's, there's a lot there. So I'm more just wanting to uh, present the instructions. Mm-hmm. <coughs> um, so this is not. I mean, it might sound. I'm quite aware. This might sound. Well, that's that sounds life denying. It's it's not that at all. I I would rather see it as. Rather than life denying, it's the it's not limiting life. It's not limiting life or being limited to life. Did you do you see? Yeah. <clears throat> so what happens? What happens? What happens if I'm not caught up uh, in phenomena and not limited by phenomena? What happens? If I just, again, sustain this mode of relating, this mode of looking, what happens? Not to be caught up, not to be limited in that way. Just everything, just let go, let go, let go, let go. And this isn't a denial, of course, and so remember these these ways of looking, they're, they're just modes, they're just gears of our car. 
another time, of course, this heartache, I need to be right with it. I need to give it attention. I need to explore where it's coming from and understand it and, and work you know, in, in, a, in a different way to bring the healing. So they're just modes. They're just gears. <clears throat> it's also, as I say, it's not a disconnection here. So it's not about boredom or just uh, kind of mundane disinterest. That's more when aversion has crept into the practice. I'm just, just not interested. I'm just bored. Whenever there's bored, boredom, there's aversion. There cannot be a feeling, an emotion of boredom without aversion there. Rejection of experience. So if, I, if one lets oneself play with this, as I said, it's just, a, it's just a hair's breadth away from what we've already been doing with the impermanence. If I just let myself play with this, this, this um, letting things go because they cannot fulfill, because they're impermanent, um, I see that's not something cold. It doesn't lead to a coldness at all. Uh, so it's not, when I say something's unsatisfactory, it's not that I'm push, pushing it away or disgusted with things or repulsed by, the, by the, the world of phenomena. It's not that at all. It's more uh, that there's letting go, letting go. It's a practice of letting go. You could say a practice of releasing, releasing the grip. Yes, yes. <clears throat> and also, as we see as we do it, there's limitations, even on a temporary basis, of how much a finite, impermanent phenomenon can fulfill us, even on a temporary basis. That, that has a real ceiling to it. Um. <laughs> um, uh, should I speak and we'll... We'll see what what's there later, and maybe there's something for tomorrow as well. Okay, so so that's the first one. It's really it's really not that, you know. As I say, it's just a little step more than the impermanence thing. <clears throat> the second, the second is more working, uh, well, working more directly with the relationship with phenomena. Okay. Actually, the first one is of course as well, but I'll explain what I mean. So we've thrown out this word, uh, both Catherine and I, at several several points, Vedana, V-E-D-A-N-A. And as we said, that what that refers to is the felt sense uh, with any experience, any of the sense doors, the, the, the texture of it being pleasant or unpleasant or somewhere in between, kind of what they call neutral. So that's the Vedana of any experience. Uh, it's just felt as unpleasant or, or pleasant or neutral. What is the texture? Um, <coughs> the texture is pleasant. The texture is pleasant or um, yeah. The 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 experience itself is felt as unpleasant or pleasant, yeah, or neutral. Yeah. Does that much make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, when there's a vedana, there's uh, an automatic reaction with vedana that when it's pleasant, we want to hold on to it, and we want more of it. And when it's unpleasant, I want to get rid of it. I push it away, I reject it, there's aversion. And neutral can go a couple of different ways. I could just completely lose interest, decide there's not enough here for me, and push it away out of boredom, and it's a sense of lack. Um, Or go off in some fantasy. 
But this is what we're interested in, the relationship with an object, or the relationship with an experience or a phenomenon. How do I know what that relationship is? How do I know? How do I tell whether it's grasping, trying to pull the thing towards me and hang on to it, or pushing away? What tells me that? Now, obviously, sometimes the mind is screaming, I've got to get out of here. You know, it's really loud. Uh, this is terrible, etc. It's obvious what the relationship is because of the thoughts. But oftentimes, in practice, that level of reactivity quietens at times. Um, and, and there's still the presence of pushing or pulling, aversion or clinging, but it's not manifesting through thought, through, through a thought reject, reject and rejection or greed or whatever. So then how, how would I notice it? How do I notice that if it's not, if it's not, if the mi- mind is not what's telling me, if the thinking mind is not what's telling me? Well, if I'm a little more spacious in my awareness, just a little bit, and maybe like we've been har- harping on about the space of the body, I can begin to get a feeling or a sense in the body of when aversion or grasping is around. Actually, aversion is almost for everyone easier to notice, interestingly. It's easier to feel the presence of that. But I notice something in the body. What do I notice in the body? That uh, there is some degree of contraction or tensing in the body whenever there's aversion or grasping. It might be in one area. It might be that every, you know, the shoulders go up uh, past the ears. It might be that the the belly contracts. It might be some other area. Um, It might be just in that sense of the space of the whole body. There's just a sense of contraction. The space itself contracts of the body. That's partly why with the metta practice we were saying sensitive to the whole body. So this this too, it reflects the mind in a way... um, more clearly sometimes than the mind itself is, is, is showing. Now sometimes this is very, very gross. You know, we're really, the whole body is clamped up. Sometimes it's very subtle, very subtle. It's just a ripple or, or a slight tensing, a uh, slight contraction, not even tensing, coming into the body sense, the space of the body. I'll throw this out now <coughs> um, because at some point either on this retreat or another retreat, will be useful. Sometimes it's even more subtle than that. And it's not even in the body sense that it's reflected. There's just a little bit of pushing away of something, or a little bit of trying to hang on to something, push-pull, and doesn't even barely reflect in the body. The body has become so open or um, light or kind of disappeared, it actually reflects in, in the sense of the spaciousness of the awareness of the mind of the consciousness. The sense of the awareness is quite open, the body is very light, and, and then that space of the awareness just contracts a little bit. It's very, very subtle. It's reflecting the presence of subtle pushing or pulling. So, what to do? What to do then? In this form, the second form of this dukkha characteristic, this way of looking, <coughs> We're, we're getting sensitive to the presence of aversion and clinging and seeing if we can relax it, relax it. Uh, so it's a funny thing. When there's pushing or pulling, as I said, the body tenses a little bit or contracts, 
And then funnily enough, if I relax the body, the clinging relaxes. It works the other way too. Is this making sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Good. Um, so the practice then is kind of... <coughs> actually, I'm dividing this second one of this second characteristic into four possible ways of doing it. Just to be really... Just to show there's lots of, there's lots of possibilities here. Um, so the, the first one is just doing it again and again. When sensitive to the presence, um, when developing sensitivity to the presence, the feeling of pushing or pulling, rejecting or or holding on, developing a sensitivity to what that feels like, and then relaxing it, and then again, and then again. So it's really just doing that over and over and over, relaxing this uh, push-pull. So... What, with that, I want to feel, and really feel uh, in the body again, how does it feel to, um, to push or to pull? How does it feel when there's aversion and craving? And how does it feel when that's relaxed, when there's letting go of aversion, of resistance, of craving? So it feels certain ways, and there's things to notice there. And one of the things, it just feels better to let go. When there's aversion and grasping, it doesn't feel very good. Right? Okay. So the first one is going via the body and just relaxing that. Relaxing. Just relaxing over and over because via the body we're relaxing the relationship with the thing. The second and the third are really just repeating what I said about the unsatisfactory before. So sometimes you're there and you, you're paying attention to the relationship with things. You know there's, there's some aversion here with whatever this is, this pain in the body or, or whatever. <coughs> and there's some aversion. And a way of relaxing the relationship with is just reminding yourself of the impermanence of this thing or just tuning again into the impermanence, acknowledging the impermanence. When I see the impermanence, then there's a tendency to let go. Some we're still working with the Vedana there, but you're just looking at... You're working with the Vedana, but we're, we're prioritizing the attention to the relationship with, and not the Vedana itself. Yeah, that's quite important. So, yes, there's a Vedana there, but I'm more interested in the relationship. We're working now on the relationship with things. That's the that's the, uh, the thing that's being emphasised and prioritised. Sometimes, uh, with using the impermanence to help you relax the relationship, you can sometimes, if there's a sense of space opening up in the practice, sometimes you can kind of see phenomena disappear. That you see them dissolve into the space. I don't know if anyone's. Uh, glimpse that at all, but um, that seeing them disappear and dissolve, also really, uh, and letting them dissolve into the space, letting them just disappear, it's like raindrops landing on the sea, or landing on the lake, they just land there and they dissolve, they disappear, now seeing their dissolution, and that that helps uh, letting go, which relaxes the relationship, and again, of course, Third possibility is you can just reflect unsatisfactory, unsatisfactory. Same thing; it will relax the relationship. Yeah. 
last possibility of, of the four is um, get really close to what's going on. So maybe I have a pain in the body, maybe it's a sound, maybe it's an emotion, maybe it's uh, whatever it is. Get really close, get up close with the awareness to it, get intimate with it. And then, rather than trying to be really clear about what it is and really noticing precisely uh, every uh, aspect of the, the phenomenon itself, the experience itself, it's getting up close and then allowing, allowing. You can even drop in that word as a, as a whisper into the mind, as a, a gentle suggestion. It's like allowing, allowing this thing, allowing this experience, allowing this phenomenon as fully, as totally as possible. So here the emphasis is on really, again, on the relationship and on um, supporting a relationship of, of 100% allowing of this thing, allowing it to be there. So you could also say, um, opening to it. Again, I'm not so interested in being really clear what the experience is, etc. I get up close, as close as possible, then it's opening, allowing. Or you could say welcoming. Again, you can drop that in. Welcoming. So I'm not so interested in the clarity about the object, the precision about the object, but about the relationship with. It's that that we're interested in here. Just clarify, at this point you're talking about the object, not the Vedana, in uh, terms of allowing. Both, both, yeah, definitely both, thank you, yeah. Um, the Vedana is always wrapped up in an object, so you could either be aware of the Vedana and then allowing the Vedana, just allow it to be unpleasant, allow it to be neutral, allow it to be pleasant. Um, welcome those Vedana, or you're welcoming the object itself, and that includes the Vedana. So, subtle distinction, but really the same thing. So when Nina asked about the fear yesterday a little bit and, and, and the way I was showing how to work, that's also, it's like creating space and then really allowing this thing, allowing the, the actual experience. Similarly, you're welcoming it, giving it space. Now obviously, well, maybe it's obvious, allowing is the quietening of aversion. Do you see that? Mm-hmm. When I allow something, I'm not aversive to it. But it's not clinging. Allowing is a different attitude. It's the quietening of aversion, but it's not clinging. So in this mode, we're really emphasizing allowing, allowing, allowing. Very beautiful practice, really, really beautiful. And if I do, you know, I find what works for me in all all of those possibilities, maybe different things at different times, of course, I start to see something we've touched on before, but it's so uh, so important to see it and, and repeat the seeing of it. I see that 99% of the suffering, the dukkha, comes from the relationship with the thing. It comes from or because of the aversion or the clinging, not because of the thing itself. Suffering comes from my aversion and my clinging. In, in we change the language, say, the thing, as we've said before, the thing itself is empty of inherent problemness, itude. And that's, that's some, uh, an insight I want to repeat over and over until it's, 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 it's burned into the heart that the thing by itself is not a problem unless I make it a problem through aversion and clinging.
and and here again the felt sense. So I need I need to here I am sitting and uh, if I use my old example that the, the, the injured hip or whatever, then then I feel the suffering of that when there's aversion and clinging. I actually want to feel the sense of there's some suffering when there's aversion and clinging. And then when I as I let go of that, as I allow more relax the relationship, whichever way I'm doing it, see it, you know, let go. As I allow that, some freedom, some degree, might not be remarkable, but some degree of freedom comes into the experience, some degree of relief, of release, of um, peace, of spaciousness, of joy even. And and it's like before, after. Feel both sides. So the whole insight, it's like, has two sides of the coin. The pain of it, when there's aversion and clinging, and the release of it. And I want to get a felt sense in the whole being of both. I need to taste that pain, but I also need to taste the release. If I don't fully taste it, it's like the insight doesn't go in at a cellular level. So you need to taste the pain. You need to taste the pain of holding and, and being aversive and clinging. Um, and, and then correspondingly taste the freedom of letting that go, the, the relief that comes. It's like it's one package, and, and they, they help each other. Now, this can unfold in many ways, and it's, so f- it's for you to take away and play with, but I'll, I'll say one thing. Um, it's possible, it's possible, sometimes, sometimes it's possible with this. So one's basically finding ways to let go in the moment, in relationship to something. And one lets go, let's say it's the hip thing or whatever, and, and there's some pain there, and I let go in relationship to that. And then sometimes I might notice that when, when there's letting go, calmness comes into the being, or calmness is allowed, we could say. Stillness is allowed. There's the emergence or revelation of, of some calming or stillness. Why? Because not letting go, the opposite of letting go, pushing and pulling, is exactly what agitates the consciousness. There's nothing else that agitates the consciousness but the pushing and pulling with things. Right? So sometimes when I let go, that's that's what I begin to... It's like a little stillness, or a lot of stillness. Some degree of stillness sometimes will come in to the body and to the consciousness, to the mind, from letting go. Now that's quite interesting. Let yourself enjoy that. Let yourself bathe in that a little bit. But sometimes also, it's possible that because of the stillness which has arisen because of the letting go, or has been allowed because of the letting go, it's possible that because of the stillness, it's like the the lake is stiller and I can see more deeply, I can see more subtly, and perhaps I can see more subtle layers of clinging and pushing away. Mm-hmm. Yeah? So, that, in a way, I become, because of the stillness that's been allowed from letting go, it's like what is also allowed in that is more sensitivity, more sensitivity to pushing and pulling at a more subtle level. And then maybe I can feel that and feel that, that too. There's dukkha when there's pushing and pulling. It's a more subtle dukkha now. The word suffering may not even... Feel at all like it's the right word at all at this level. Just some sense of constriction, etc. And it's possible I'm sensitive to it, and then maybe I can let that go at that level. 
and then maybe that goes to another level, maybe it stays, you know, maybe it's the same. But there is a possibility, in a very beautiful way, at times, at times, there's a possibility of just this thread of, of increasing subtlety, unfoldings, taking us down and down, so to speak, into layers of pushing, pulling, reactivity, clinging, that exist in us, that go on all day and all night, that we're not even aware of. And what happens when I begin... Uh, when I begin letting them go, when I begin releasing them, what happens? So that possibility is there. But the real practice is just releasing. Whatever clinging I notice, whether it's more subtle than I've just noticed, the same subtlety, or more gross than I've just noticed, the practice is basically just becoming aware of how that feels, push-pull, and and releasing it over and over and over. It's a very beautiful practice. And it goes for all, all experience. So it's tempting to just tune into the ones that are difficult. But actually, what about if we include the more neutral experiences? And what, what's the subtle clinging that goes with neutrality or with pleasant? So include the whole gamut, the whole range, not just with difficult. So some degree of spaciousness. Um, it could just be the, you know, the, this sort of bubble of the body that we were doing with meta. Some degree of spaciousness helps the um, helps us to become aware of the relationship with things. If I'm too focused on the thing itself, too one pointedly in the middle of the thing itself, that can be very helpful, directing attention that way. But oftentimes it's almost like one gets a little blinkered to what the relationship is, because I'm so burrowed into the phenomenon itself. Do you see? Um, so, again, we said this before, both directing the attention and also opening it out is, is, is really, really helpful. And that, that capacity we have as human beings of being able to actually choose. And sometimes you work one way and sometimes you work another way. That's really, really important at this stage because each way will kind of reveal uh, different insights, if you like, regarding emptiness. That I won't get the whole picture if I just stick with just one way of doing it. More like at different times. At different times you're working in a more open way, at different times you're working in a... In a, in a more direct way. But you might find with one phenomena that you're trying to work in a very directed way and it's you can't really let go, it's, it's not really happening, then maybe opening it out really helps, or vice versa. So if you feel like you're stuck a bit, maybe go into a different mode. <clears throat> but generally I think I'm saying just to explore both working in direct relationship with, let's say, this hip pain, and one's looking right at it and seeing if I can let go in relationship to it, or one's working in a much more open way and um, kind of letting everything go, letting everything go. This this kind of letting everything be. Okay, so take it for a spin, take it for a test drive. Um, it's probably, you'll find, in a lot of ways, it's a softer practice than the impermanence practice, especially if you're doing this kind of really probing, microscopic impermanence. Um, So there's something very lovely in that sense. Um, This, it's interesting, 
Juliet asked yesterday about doing and the sense sometimes people feel very ambivalent uh, at the least about doing in practice. Um, this practice and, and the next one that we'll do, the anatta, um, <clears throat> they're actually less doing. But it might not seem that way at first. And I think we said this in the Q&A. It's like, I'm so used to pushing and pulling and pushing and pulling and pushing and pulling and pushing and pulling. And that's the doing. And when I let go of it, what I'm really doing is not doing. I'm not pushing and pulling. But because I'm so used to it, it might feel like a doing at first. Yeah. But actually you can uh, feel your way in um, to the sense of it's 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 a kind of non-doing here, and 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 in that also is a softness and this relief. Um, we're so used to clinging all day long that um, it it's, we have to kind of train in not doing that. So the habitual uh, it might feel easier, but it's not so helpful. So that, I'm saying that because it might not be obvious at first that actually what we're doing now is a non-doing. Um, in terms of the balance, meta is still really important, really, really important. So it may be that you, and it might be really good actually to be doing more meta even than the insight practices in the mix, but at least 50-50, minimum of 50% meta, really, really helpful. Um, You know, there's a few more things I could say, but I think my feeling is to let you play with it a little bit, and um, and see what comes up for you, and and uh, rather than um, rather than saying anything more. Yeah. Does it matter <coughs> if? you only um, choose to practice one of those four? No. No. But but find what works for you. I mean, you might as well, you know, at least discover which works. If there's one that definitely works best for you. Or that last one that mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. the allowing. Yeah, yeah. Everything that you just described is exactly what's happened to me this morning. So okay. it's really helpful. Good. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Um, yeah. I guess. Nice. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Oh, I think I know where I am. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. No, certainly one gets a sense something, sometimes of practice just opening in a certain direction, and it's natural to mm-hmm. just follow that. Um, Hopefully the life of practice is long and one can try different things from different directions at different times, but you don't have to force anything. So, yeah. If it feels like that was working well for you, just, just keep doing that. It, it just naturally yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the sort of thing I would I would expect mm. sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking that it seems very similar. I mean, all, all the angles are quite similar in some ways. Yeah. Um, particularly the one about um, relaxing the body, 
With the allowing that you mentioned. Relaxing the relationship by the body. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. With the allowing that you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. I guess what I'm wondering is whether. I, I, I just need to try it to find out, don't I? How distinct they are and whether it yeah. Just yeah. seems to happen. Yeah. They. They. I'm. I'm really going into that breaking it down just because. It's just a subtly different angle on it that some people might find it more helpful this way or, or the other way. But basically, you need to you know you need to play play with it. Um, uh, it's really all the same thing, just just slightly different. Not to worry too much. No, but basically, <coughs> if, if you can find a way of, if we sum it up, relaxing the relationship with things. Mm-hmm quietening the push and pull in relationship to things um, whatever way you do that is right that's what we're practicing here in, in terms of this yeah that's what I've been doing with the metta practice feeling the metta and then mm-hmm. just allowing it rather than holding on to it and pushing it away okay. there can be both yeah. responses sometimes and that, that just as you're saying, it just gets bigger and more subtle and deeper. And mm-hmm. um, okay, so um, that's. Uh, mm, should we go into this now? Um, <coughs> well, we could bring it up another time, or or. Okay, um, but there's there's an important point there that, that probably should come out at some point. I don't know how are you guys feeling now. Should we should we stop for today and and just go tomorrow or yeah? Okay. Seize the moment. M- meaning which? <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Um, Sorry, I, I think I think it's better leave you that play with it, and then because there's a lot of insight. This is a very powerful practice in terms of insights, and so what I think I'd rather do is is you play with it a little bit, and then discuss what comes up. Because there's insights into self, self construction here, well, what uh, Hannah just said in, re- in regards to the, the interface with meta. Um, there's all there's all kinds of things, all kinds of possibilities. So if that if that feels okay, yeah. Um, so play with it a little bit. And um, Catherine is speaking tonight, and and uh, we we can talk about this in the interviews and in the Q and A's, etc. Um, so basically, it's like just just doing it and, and seeing what happens. What does it mean about self? What does it mean uh, in terms of freedom? All of that. Okay, so let's let's have a quiet moment again. <coughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.